Good evening and welcome to Nightline Africa. We are coming to you live from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Clotin in Washington, D.C. This decision we took because of the continuous violation of human rights and especially rights of opposition supporters, but also the brutalization that continues. Ugandan opposition lawmakers boycott parliament over human rights concerns. Well, it was gloom, doom, pain, tears and heartbreak for a majority of Nigerians because what Nigerians got from the justices was a judgment without justice. Nigeria's Supreme Court affirms President Bola Tinubu's election victory will have a reaction. And the European Union calls for pauses in the war between Israel and Hamas to allow aid in the Gaza Strip. Those stories and more coming up on Nightline Africa. In Uganda, opposition lawmakers say they plan to continue boycotting parliament until the government demonstrates a commitment to stop violating the human rights of citizens. The parliamentarians cited instances where state institutions, including the police, are used to arrest, intimidate and harass opponents of the administration. But supporters of the ruling party reject the accusation, saying this is yet another attempt by the opposition to make the government unpopular. They are calling on the opposition to persuade their supporters not to break the law. To learn more about the opposition parliamentary boycott, I reach Ibrahim Semuju. He is a leading member of the Ugandan opposition in parliament. This decision we took because of the continuous violation of human rights and especially rights of opposition supporters, but also the brutalization that continues, including brutalizing opposition leaders. The other day, the president of National Unity Platform was grabbed from an aircraft when he was returning from a foreign trip. His party, because I belong to the FDC, but which is another opposition party, organized prayers to mark Uganda's independence on October 9th, but their headquarters was raided by security and supporters arrested and leaders arrested, including some who are members of parliament. So we, the, the, the following week, we took a decision as opposition not to continue participating in, in, in parliamentary work until a satisfactory statement committing not to continue violating rights of opposition supporters and opposition leaders is made by government. So the minimum that we set out is that government must commit itself to follow the law because the Public Order Management Act and Police Act does not give the state any power or authority to stop meetings and brutalize us. So the 
last week and last two weeks, we have been making attempts to present statements, but statements that are almost saying nothing. Instead, they are blaming victims that you are not following guidelines, that you are making a sectarian statements. So that's why we said until that commitment has been made, we will stay out of parliament. But how long are you willing to hold out until what you said there is a commitment from the government not to commit human rights violations, we, as you said? We, we decided to begin with the most civil action that you can take to draw the attention of the public, the attention of the international community, but also the attention of the public to the importance of respecting human rights in our country. But we keep meeting and we may revise our action, including returning to Parliament and stage a protest there. But we thought we should begin with the simplest of the civil actions to which government can make a response. But if they don't listen and, and don't present a satisfactory statement, even on Monday, Tuesday, we'll be having a meeting and we may choose to go and carry out the protest from inside the parliamentary chambers. Are there ongoing discussions with the leadership in parliament, including uh, Mr. Tayebwa, the deputy speaker of parliament, to address your concerns? The leader of the opposition has met more, not, not once, not twice, with the speaker of parliament, the, the deputy speaker who is presiding over parliament these days, the Honorable Thomas Taewa, because we want parliament to ask government, because violation of human rights is not localized, it's not, we are not the only beneficiary when rights are being respected in the country. That's why we want parliament to move as an institution in demanding that rights must be respected. But the deputy speaker can only stop at demanding that a, a statement of commitment be made. So those who are making the statement are the ones who are refusing to make that commitment. They only blame, 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 blame the victims in all their statements. Ibrahim Samuju is a leading member of the Ugandan opposition in parliament. He spoke with me from the capital, Kampala. In Nigeria, former Vice President Atiku Abubakar plans to address the nation on Monday, this following the ruling from the Supreme Court, which rejected his legal challenge of the victory of President Bola Tinubu in the recent presidential election. The court also refused to admit university documents lawyers from the former Vice President presented to the court seeking to disqualify Tinubu from contesting in the recent election. Abu Bakar, the presidential candidate for the main opposition People's Democratic Party or PDP, had argued that the document would settle the controversy surrounding the president's academic qualifications. For more reaction about the Supreme Court's ruling, I reach Frank Shaibu. He is the special assistant on public communication to former Vice President Atiku Abu Bakar. Well, it was um, gloom, doom, pain, tears, and heartbreak for a majority of Nigerians. Because what Nigerians got from the justices was a judgment without justice. And what it exemplified and typified, I will simply summarize in this situation, that when a man is in a paternity mess and is left to choose between a birth certificate and the DNA test results. You know, the Nigerian Supreme Court justices have said that you should rather choose a birth certificate over a DNA test result. That's just a simple analogy. 
to define what was done yesterday. What does the former vice president plan to do next following this ruling from the Supreme Court? He will uh, be speaking to the nation on Monday by God's grace. He'll be addressing the nation on our next steps. The one thing is clear and very, very clear. They have adjudicated on the presidential elections uh, petition. But one thing that will not go away is the issues that were raised in our petition. The litany of forgeries, the litany of fake documents submitted, the truth will continue to haunt those issues, both in Nigeria and in the world over. So by the former vice president, will broadcast to the nation on Monday, God willing. What do you say to critics of the former vice president who say that after all this time and effort and money, invested in trying to bring a document that was not accepted by the Supreme Court is, they say, an exercise in futility just to tarnish the image of the country and of the sitting president. How do you respond to that? No, no, no. That's a reckless allusion. We don't say that it was just to tarnish the image of... of no, the Supreme Court justices did not even say that uh, the, 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 the documents we brought from the from um, uh, Chicago State University or the deposition in the court in Illinois were, were, were irrelevant. No, they just simply said it was inad- inadmissible. The technicality was used over judgment in the matter. So what we have done is we have been able, the vice former vice president has been able to let the world know that this is whom we have as a president. So morally, he is, he is victorious. If they, even not for anything, victory is the one that is associated with the former vice president. What we insist on and what we know is the true position is the fact that... So using technicalities you know, to manipulate the people cannot work. It only lasts there for a moment. No matter how hard and how long lies travel, the truth will overtake it someday. Frank, in ruling over the case, the Supreme Court said that the former vice president did not prove that he won the election and that the INEC or the Independent National Electoral Commission has the prerogative under the constitution to decide which mode of transmission to undertake the results of the election and that the former vice president and other challenges did not meet the threshold despite the... It is, on, the... It, it is very unfortunate that at this and time in the year 20, 2023, the year of our Lord, somebody is still preferring to have the analog method of transmission over the digital method of transmission. Nigeria spent billions of naira to get what we call the PIVAS machines which was meant to be used for the e-transmission and e-collation. These are procedures that are documented in our electoral act, well documented. So if for the purpose of technicality to suit the position of their paymasters, I don't know who they are, then they have come up with such an argument. Who are we? There is no other court for us to go to apart from the court of God and the court of the people. Frank Shaibu is the special assistant on public communication to former Vice President Atiku Abubakar. He spoke with me from the Nigerian capital, Abuja.
In Sierra Leone, a parliamentarian from the main opposition All People's Congress, or APC, is planning to be the presidential candidate of the party in the next general election. Mohamed Bangura says he is uniquely qualified to unite the country and improve the living conditions of the people. This despite critics who say he has no chance of representing the APC following his recent suspension for defying the party. They also call for his expulsion for his decision to go to parliament in defiance of the APC's punishment and its rejection of the outcome of the recent presidential election. But parliamentarian Bangura tells me that his decision to perform Perform his parliamentary duties in defiance of the party is the right thing to do for Sierra Leone. I've made my intention known to the the people of Sierra Leone that I've been running. I will be running for president. I will be interested in replacing uh, President Jilos Madabio for the people for the for the presidency, and I have made it very clear that um, I am a candidate who is going to be a unifier. And the country needs a unifier. You need the next president to be somebody who will come and say, SLPP and APC, we are all together. Someone who can hold the country together. And that will be me. So, Mohamed Bangura, you are a prominent politician from the All People's Congress. However, you defy the party. So why do you think the party will rally behind you if you publicly defied their moves? I know from the morning that uh, what I did to represent my party in parliament was for the interest of the country. That is the purpose. It is for the interest of the country, and I have said this, and I have told my party people that this particular action, I did that for the interest of the country. In the long run, you will know. And Peter, let me tell you this now. The next one week, the parliamentarians, those who were asked by my party executive not to attend parliament, they are going to parliament. They are returning. So I am saying to my party, that decision was wrong that decision was ill-advised and it's based on that premise that i know that majority of the apcs will see reason to follow me tomorrow to aspire for the flag bearership of the party what do you say to critics who are saying that you have ruined your political career by defying the party publicly and that you might not necessarily even become a member of parliament of the party, let alone to run for president. So with that being said, how confident are you that they would have an about turn moment to support you? This is not the first time I'm running for president of the country. 2012, I ran alongside with the former president, Dr. Anes Baikoroma, Angelos Madabiu. It is at the middle of the elections that former president spoke to me that I should step down for him. And believe me, I kept on saying this. The decision for me to go to parliament was a just decision. It was for the interest of the country. 
and as a matter of fact, that is what the constitution requires me to do. I understand the party has suspended you and there are even talks of even being expelled from the party. Your thought? Peter, Peter, let me tell you this. Nobody, nobody and nobody will expel me from APC. What makes no. you so confident? I am confident because of the constitution of the party and that of the national constitution. It protects me. The, the, the reason why I have been suspended is because, according to them, I attended parliament. And that action is not enough. That action is not enough. That's a decision to suspend me. That's not enough. So I believe that the constitution of, of the party is with me. And the national constitution is with me. And majority of Sri Leoneans are with me. I believe so. In any case, Peter, what Sri Leone needs is a person like me to take over the leadership of that country. Mohamed Bangura is a parliamentarian from the main opposition All People's Congress or APC. He spoke with me from the Sri Leonean capital, Freetown. The runoff election has a very short period, and so... Liberia's main opposition unity party says it has stepped up its campaign for the coming presidential election runoff. It promises to wrestle power from incumbent President George Weir. This after announcing plans to work with other opposition groups for support ahead of the runoff. It comes as the Liberia Elections Commission announced the runoff will be in November. This after the president and main challenger, former Vice President Joseph Wakai, failed to secure the more than 50% threshold needed to be declared winner. We are garnered 43.83%, while Wakai came in close second with 43.44% of the total vote cast. For more about the opposition party's plans, I reach Mohammed Ali. He is the general secretary of the Unity Party. to reach every village and we've recruited a lot of volunteers thousands of volunteers to go and campaign there is also another campaign that we are stepping up we realized that in the first round there was a huge number of uh, invalid votes and that amounted to about 114,000 so we've decided also that our Campaigners are volunteers that are going to the communities to volunteer, uh, to campaign. We'll also be teaching the people how to vote so that we don't have that quantity of invalid votes. Mohammed, I understand that your party is expressing confidence of wrestling power from the president. But what makes you this confident? Um, around 56 point something, I think 0.3 or so percent rejected President Weir majority of those people want to see his back they don't want to see him in power and it is that 56 percent that we are choosing uh, we understand that there will be some people who pretend to be opposition they will endorse him definitely but we believe that the genuine and majority 
members of the opposition bloc will come to the unity party because we all agree that President Weah is not uh, good for the country in terms of the presidency. So these are the hopes that we have. And when you look at the first round result, Peter, nowhere in the world you see the incumbent going head to head with the uh, the opposition party and that incumbent easily wins uh, in the second round. The margin between the incumbent and our party was around 7,000 votes. You're talking about almost 2 million persons voting and just 7,000. We believe that we can overhaul him, we can overtake him, and we can wrestle the presidency from him. On the campaign trail, the president asked voters for more time to fulfill his promise to rebuild the country's economy, institutions, and infrastructure. And he also pledged to pave more roads if re-elected. I hear this campaign message is resonating among people across Liberia. Isn't this a threat to your efforts to wrestle power from him? Absolutely not. You know, Peter, there is a there is an adage in Liberia that says, if your Christmas will be good, you know from the East. In his first six years, he has done no major project, no major economic reform to impact the lives of the people. This government under President Weir cannot tell us how many persons they've lifted out of poverty. They cannot tell us how many persons they've provided jobs for no amount of no number of jobs have been created because there's no database for that even though in his development agenda they included there that over a period of five years they were going to lift um one million persons out of poverty the health sector is in shambles nurses everywhere doctors are complaining they don't get their salaries um, workers in the education sector, the civil servants, they are all behind, behind us. They are with us. Yesterday, I was in one of the counties and I was on the radio. The moment I left the radio, a huge chunk of health workers came. And the only thing they told us, we are going to vote for Joseph Boakai. All we need from you is to protect our votes. I understand officials of the ruling party are in negotiations with other opposition parties to come to their side to boost President Weir's re-election prospect. That's what I said. There were 20 political parties that participated in the first round of the elections. Already we are having some of the major parties endorsing. Oh, yesterday, the Liberian People's Party of renowned lawyer Councilor Chiawon Gonglo endorsed us. There are candidates, uh, legislative candidates across the countries that are endorsing us. And we are also in negotiations with some of these key political parties. And they are telling us that, look, we all have the same goal. The opposition see it said that we need to hold together because President Weah has not done good for Liberia at all. Mohamed Ali is the General Secretary of the Unity Party. He spoke with me from the Liberian capital, Monrovia.
The European Union called for pauses in the war between Israel and Hamas to allow aid in the Gaza Strip following a summit in Brussels. As Henry Ridgewell reports, the bloc also discussed further aid for Ukraine as Kyiv fights Russia's invasion. Pro-Palestinian demonstrations were held Thursday outside the two-day European Union summit in Brussels. Across Europe, both pro-Palestinian and pro-Israeli protesters have demanded stronger support from the EU. Europe has backed Israel to defend itself in line with international law following the October 7th cross-border attack by Hamas militants. But the conflict has exposed internal divisions in the bloc as the Palestinian death toll continues to grow. After several hours of talks, the leaders agreed on a statement calling for more aid to be let into the Gaza Strip, including pauses in the fighting. The aid needs to reach Gaza unhindered and quickly. The wording of the statement is seen as significant, says analyst Ian Bond. They seem to have spent a long time arguing about whether there should be a a pause for humanitarian purposes or pauses. Um, A lot of people apparently thought that the former sounded a bit too close to a ceasefire, which they didn't want to call for. The EU called for renewed focus on a two-state solution to the Middle East conflict. We also decided to affirm the European Union's wish to support the principle of an international peace conference, which should be able to take place soon. Israel's bombardment of Hamas targets is continuing, and the EU statement is unlikely to have a big impact, says Bond. The reality in any case is that the EU's influence over Israel in particular has been quite limited for quite a long time. The European Union also discussed a further four-year, $53 billion support package for Ukraine as it fights Russia's invasion, but final agreement is not expected until December. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, a long-time critic of Western assistance to Ukraine, and Slovakia's newly elected Prime Minister Robert Fiso raised concerns, but did not reject the aid package outright. If we don't stop Putin in Ukraine, he won't stop there. Uh, So it is uh, a threat to all of us. Most EU states strongly support the continuation of military and financial assistance to Kyiv, says analyst Ian Bond. And supportive of Ukraine's ambitions to become a member of the European Union and to start accession negotiations probably in the new year. Meanwhile, Serbia's president held meetings with EU leaders on the sidelines of the summit, as Brussels also attempts to de-escalate tensions between Serbia and Kosovo. Henry Ridgewell, VOA News, London. Thank you. And you are listening to Nightline Africa on the English to Africa service of The Voice of America. I'm your host, Peter Clote, in Washington, D.C. And coming up in the second half of Nightline Africa, the Saturday music spot from our collection of music from the continent. But first, in Zambia, leading civil society groups are expressing 
concern about what they say is the shrinking space for freedom of expression and assembly in the southern African country. A letter signed by 13 prominent groups states what it says appears to be growing intolerance for dissent. It comes as opposition groups claim state institutions, including the police and the judiciary, are being used to intimidate and harass opponents. For more details, I reach Linda Kasonde. She is a lawyer, chief executive director of the Chapter 1 Foundation and main author of the letter from the civil society groups. Over the past 8 to 10 months, particularly, we've seen an increasing intolerance for dissent, and this has manifested itself in um, the, pro the prohibition of the government in allowing the former ruling party to hold political rallies. Um, the independent broadcasting authority uh, has become what well, appears to be warning media houses over some of their content, which is um, political in nature, particularly featuring opposing views or uh, views of uh, political parties, opposition political parties. That we've seen um, when opposition political parties uh, come in conflict with the law, or at least are accused of doing so, we see them being detained unduly, certainly for longer than the 48-hour uh, legal requirements before they're brought to court. There are suggestions from supporters of the ruling party that the oh. statement coming from civil society groups that freedom of speech or free press is being undermined is just an effort by the civil society organizations to tarnish the reputation of the government, particularly when they had made great strides, they said, in allowing freedom of expression in Zambia. How do you respond to that? Well, if, if, if civil society is being accused of tarnishing uh, the government's image in, on freedom of expression, then they are aiding and abetting us in doing so by not allowing media houses uh, free reign over how they conduct the content uh, of their programs. This is an example. Recently, um, the, the Independent Broadcasting Authority cautioned Hot FM, which is a radio program, uh, sorry, a radio um, house here, uh, over uh, one of their guests, who's an academic called Dr. Shishua Shishua, over his uh, sentiments that tribalism is creeping in in terms of public political appointments, uh, and he was, uh, the station was cautioned over that. Also, the Independent Broadcasting Authority um, recently cautioned a TV station over allowing opposition political parties to present programs on its station. And uh, this is not to do that with Independent Broadcasting Authority, but one of the largest um, public newspapers, the Daily Mail, in June 2023, fired a journalist, a photojournalist, for having tried to publish uh, a photo of people queuing up for our national uh, uh, staple food, Mealy Meal, uh, given that the cost of Mealy Meal has increased dramatically um, over the past uh, two to three years. Are the CSO groups willing to meet officials of the government to officially express the concern and engage them in the best way forward? Absolutely. We're always willing to engage. I think 
certainly that is a positive attribute of the current government. They certainly have been far more willing to engage with various stakeholders over uh, various national issues. But I must point out that the government's priority appears to be economic development, which is a good thing, but we fear that that's being done at the expense of upholding and protecting the rule of, of law and human rights in our country. In a recent letter, Telesfo Impudu, a prominent cleric in Zambia, expressed concern about the political space narrowing in Zambia and that perceived political opponents of the administration are being hounded using state institutions, including the police and the judiciary. Is this observation also part of what the civil society organizations are referring to in your recent letter? Well, I think the statement that you mentioned that we issued earlier today did highlight some of those issues. But I think it's also fair to say that all is not lost. Although we are seeing some worrying trends in the wrong direction, I believe that there's still plenty of time for our government to course correct because um, they need to understand that dissent is healthy in order to check government power and excesses and so for our democracy to thrive, we, don't, we do not only need economic development, we also need good governance, the rule of law and human rights, which ensure transparency and accountability in how our governance is conducted. So um, we hope that the government will um, come to that realization of what by whatever means, whether it is through our press statements, whether it's through engaging with them in person, but it's certainly a conversation that needs to be had. Linda Kasonde is a lawyer and the chief executive director of the Chapter One Foundation. She spoke with me from the Zambian capital, Lusaka. Still in Zambia, the main opposition party, the Patriotic Front, says it has expelled Miles Sampa, one of its members of parliament. In the letter, the interim chairman of the party, Givin Lubinda, cited activities of the lawmaker, which he says brought disrepute to the group. This after Miles Sampa was elected as leader of the PF at a recent congress in the capital, Lusaka, a move the party described as illegal. Local media reports say the PF appears to be split in two after the Registrar of Societies, the group that regulates political parties, recognized Sampa as leader of the PF. But interim chairman Givin Lubinda tells me that there appears to be an attempt to destroy the main opposition party. Miles Sampa breached regulations of the party early this year when he addressed the press and poured scorn on some members of the party, upon which he was suspended from being a member of the Central Committee, rather. He wasn't suspended from the party, but he was suspended the highest policy-making body of the party. Unknown to us, Mao Samba was actually already organizing an illegal meeting, which he called a Patriotic Front Extraordinary Conference, which was held without following the due process. And it is in that meeting, which was held yesterday, where he announced himself 
as the newly elected president of the Patriotic Front. Mr. Lubinda, reports coming out of Zambia show that the party has been split into two. After he was elected as president of the PF, they said faction, uh, for which you dismissed him or the party dismissed him, he has chosen um, a general secretary of the party and has approached the registrar of society. So the report is that the PF has two factions, one led by Miles Sampa and the one led by you. The media that is reporting that must uh, be media that is economizing with the truth. The party could have been considered to have been split had it been that there are people in the current leadership who have left the party to go and join Miles Bamba. Of all the people who attended his so-called conference, there was only one member of parliament. There was not a single provincial official from any of the 10 provinces. There was not a single member of the central committee who attended. There are suggestions from Zambia that the PF wants to blame the ruling party for its internal woes, and that it would be better for the patriotic front to look it at its internal rumblings and wranglings to resolve those issues, in, to form a formidable opposition, and that blaming anybody else is a cop-out, they say. How do you respond to such criticisms? Blame can only be attributed when there are facts on the ground. And we have facts on the ground. All children have to do is to use Google to Google uh, the name of Mwetwa, the spokesperson of the UPND. The spokesperson of the UPND confessed, he actually said very clearly that he had no shame whatsoever to state that he and the UPND are actually the ones who are sponsoring the stabilization of the Patriotic Front. That is a statement that was made by the spokesperson of the UPND. And if a person holding such a senior position in the UPND makes such a confession, who are we not to attribute this to them? And we have also seen the manner in which the ruling party is making it impossible for the Patriotic Front to organize meetings. Your listeners may have already heard that we tried to inform the police that we're going to have public rallies. And at every turn, they are stopping us by claiming that they don't have sufficient police officers. Where does the Patriotic Front go from here with what most people are saying in Zambia that there is a split down the middle? I don't know which most people are referring to. If you have seen some postings by a few people who are enemies of the Patriotic Front, that cannot be representative of the most the views of most Zambians because I am actually deceived by numerous phone calls. I have been visited by several people today. My inbox is filled. My WhatsApp messages are overflowing. All Zambians are saying, you have done a good thing. There are actually some who are uh, criticizing me that 
I took too long to take the action, that the party took too long to take action, punitive measures against my sample. So as far as I can see, the majority of Zambians who relish the thriving multi-party democracy in Zambia would not like to see the patriotic front being destroyed by one person. Given Lubinda is the interim chairman of the Patriotic Front or the PF, he spoke with me from the Zambian capital, Lusaka. In Africa, you don't normally see old people being celebrated nationally, except maybe within family circles or close friends. Doreen Barry is a Sierra Leonean journalist who quit her job to care for the aged. She talks to my colleague David Vandy about how the Doontoni organization for the aged started in Sierra Leone. Looking at how we normally treat um, old people in Africa, especially in Sierra Leone, yeah, and we think that because they are old, um, we should not consider them again. Um, we should just abandon them. Um, society has turned their back against them. Um, they too have their own needs. They do not have people who can advocate on their behalf. And so I saw the need um, as a young broadcaster um, to quit my profession and started an advocacy and support for all people. The reason doing this is because um, there was um, a prominent broadcaster in Sierra Leone, uh, which we normally uh, call Antoniata, who ended as the King George's sixth top. For those who know about Sierra Leone, we all know that King George's sixth home is a home for homeless people, especially um, those who are senior citizens. It is because of all of these reasons, and also I was raised up by my grandmother. And if I am what I am today, I want to say thank you to her, even though she's late, um, for all what um, she did in my life. Because of all of this, that is why we have this organization. And the organization, we are doing to approach, we are doing advocacy and support. Because when we talk about senior citizens in Sierra Leone, you cannot just come and be talking about issues affecting them, not providing their basic needs. And you had to quit your job just to do this for the agent. Definitely. Because um, we all know being um, a broadcaster doing journalism, it is a very selfish job. And looking at the task ahead of us to ensure that we change the dynamics about how people think about old people in Sierra So I have to quit my job and, you know, give myself 24-hour services to ensure that I start knocking doors start reminding people that we need to create a space for the aged. We need to break the barriers because we all know in Sierra Leone the barriers are there between the young and the old. We always see them as people who should be left at home, as people who we should not discuss with, forgetting that they need companionship and they need a love, they need a care, they need a support. So, so what are some of the challenges faced by the elderly people, not just in Sierra Leone, but also globally? There are many. I will start with healthcare, especially for us in Sierra Leone. Um, that is why for us we are doing free medical um, checkup and breakfast every first Wednesday in the month because um, most of the time, especially in certain African countries, we all know how um, the medical system is poor. So it is difficult for most of them to afford it. So even to go to the hospital to do their normal checkup is very challenging for them. Um, I will also say dementia. 
many people, when they get old, they lost their memory. They cannot remember things. So um, it's, it, it's so difficult for family to cope with them, you know, and even community members to cope with them because there are times um, you, you, you may have given them food and then they will complain that they have not eaten anything. You know, depression also is another challenge for old people, not only in Sierra but all over the world. Doreen Barry is the head of the Dowantoni Organization for the Aged. She spoke with my colleague David Vandy from the Cyril Union Capital Freetown. And right now it's time for music from African Collection. Check out, come on, my zoo. See, I'm not your cabbage. 
That was music from the continent, and we hope you enjoyed it. 
Nightline Africa comes to you on Saturdays and Sundays at 16 and 18 hours UTC from the English to Africa service of the Voice of America. And from the rest of the Nightline team, including producer Douglas Impuga and engineer Peter Hanley, we say a big thank you for joining us tonight. And remember, as the elders say, the ocean never swallows a person with whose leg it does not come in contact. I'm your host, Peter Clote in Washington. Good evening, Africa.